Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be talking about worry this morning. I know what some of you are thinking. Finally, something I'm good at. Right? Worry. Some of us, it comes naturally to us. I mean, it's kind of our default state of being is to worry. And others, we just watch other people worry and it doesn't really you know, affect us as much. For most of my life, I found myself in that, that second camp. Not really a worrier. I would much rather be the person that goes up to someone who is worrying and tries to calm them down, kind of cut the tension with a, with a joke or... Uh, calm them down with a, with a hug or kind word. It's kind of my natural setting. I don't, I don't like worrying. That, that changed at least a, for a season pretty significantly a couple of years ago. Uh, so in uh, January of 2020, uh, our family was kind of hit with a traumatic event. Our, our daughter, uh, Lydia, was stillborn at, at full term. And there's various, as those of you that experience loss or grief, there's various things that kind of happen, side effects that flow from any kind of uh, tragedy. And for me, uh, you know, months afterwards, one of the things I noticed was all of a sudden, I became a worrier. And I, and I didn't like it, I, I didn't know what happened, but things that they used to not bother me all of a sudden, I would be really worried about. So one example that, that kind of comes to my mind is, uh, this is, uh, we were living at the seminary at the time. This is the seminary fountain. That's uh, my son, Benjamin. He was three years old at the time, and my wife, Dana. And, and pretty regularly for, for our time at the seminary, we would go down, walk over to the fountain, uh, and, and kind of walk around uh, the edge there. Sometimes Benjamin would grab a stick and pretend like he was fishing even though there's no fish in the fountain, but we did this all the time. And then all of a sudden, we're doing this activity that I've done all the time, and I'm worried that somehow this is dangerous for my son. Now, a little background about uh, the seminary fountain. You are allowed to go in the fountain as long as you pass summer Greek. It's a long-standing tradition, decades long. The, the guys pass the summer Greek class, and then you jump into the fountain. It is a rite of passage. And so I don't want Benjamin to fall in, partially because if he falls in and he hasn't passed Greek, we're going to get kicked out. But here's the thing. I, 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 I know this one. I jumped in this fountain. And uh, the year that, that we went in, uh, you couldn't see the bottom of the fountain. It had gotten pretty murky. I mean, there's birds that kind of fly in and bathe in there. There's dogs that will jump in and bathe in there. And apparently none of that was a problem. But instantly, some seminarians jump in, and the next week, here's what they do. They drain the pool, and they totally clean it out, because apparently we were the last straw. I've been in this fountain. I've seen it drained. I've seen that it barely slopes. I know there's no danger as long as there's supervision right by it. And even though I know that, 
this activity that we've done in and out, day after day, for a year and a half, I can't help it. I'm worried. It doesn't make sense. But it doesn't change the fact that I was worried about it. And not just this. There were a whole bunch of other things that used to not bother me. All of a sudden, I became a worrier. And in kind of processing through that and figuring out what, what happened, see, dealing, I was part of dealing with tragedy and losses. When, when something happens that, that is unexpected, that, that the percentile, the chance of it happening is so small, and yet it happens to you, one of the ways that we tend to respond is to say, oh, we lose that safety net. And we go, well, maybe it could happen to me. And so how do we cope with that? Well, we try to hold on to whatever it is that we can control. Whatever it is that I can control, maybe that will be what keeps us safe. Maybe that will be the thing that gets me through. And this is part of the reason why we worry so much. It's because there's a whole lot of things in our life that seem out of control, or that we simply can't control, but it doesn't stop us from trying. See, as I thought about it, I mean, the more we experience this on a day-to-day level, I mean, think about the things in your life that you uh, want control over, and then think about the things that you worry over. And I promise you, the Venn diagram of those is almost just a circle. It's the same kind of stuff on both lists. So we worry about our, our families. Uh, we want to take care of them. We, we want to we, we control and, and take care of their health and their well-being because we want the best for them. So if our, our parents are, are aging, we, we worry about them. We, we try to control and say, Mom, Dad, you shouldn't be doing that. Get down from the ladder or whatever the scenario is because we're worried. If you have kids that are grown up, they're out of the house, they're no longer under your roof. There's pretty little you can control. And so what do we do? What we do, what we do anytime we don't have control, we worry. We spend our time worrying, oh, I hope they're eating enough. And so when they come to our house, we send them with a whole you know, gallon of leftovers because that's something I control. And in the meantime, what am I doing? I'm worrying. If you've got young kids, you've realized long ago you have no control. Uh, they, you know, they're just going to kind of do whatever they want. And but what do we do? We worry. We worry about them. We worry about the world that they're growing up in. We, we worry about about their school, about their their grades, about whatever obstacles they're going to face, because there's so much that we can't control. We look at our world. There's war in Ukraine. There's now war in the Middle East. There's divisions within our own country, within our own societies. And there's so little of that that we can control. And so what do we do? We worry. We worry about whatever's going to happen next and how it's going to affect us. We look at the economy look at our finances, and, and there's very little. We can't control the interest rate. Uh, we can't control what the oil companies do. We, we can't control the housing market. And so we worry. 
we try to take control, we try to hold on tight to whatever it is that we have. The reality is we're, we're a society of warriors, whether it comes naturally to us or not. And, and it's not just for adults anymore. The number one diagnosed uh, condition for elementary school students it used to be ADHD or ADD for a long time. In the last couple of years, it's switched and now anxiety. It's the number one diagnosed condition for elementary students. The, the average American teenager carries around a level of anxiety that would have gotten them hospitalized 50 years ago. Average American teen is walking around with that. See, we're warriors. It's kind of built into the fabric of our, our nation over the last few generations. And maybe it's because we wake up every morning and, and our phone and news are just telling us problems. That there's lots and lots of problems. And that's what we get from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. But whatever the reason, whatever the circumstances, the question we have to ask is how well is this going for us? <laughs> because to be honest, worrying all the time is exhausting. It's exhausting trying to control things that we can't control, trying to hold on so tightly to things that we end up just worrying all the more. What's happened is we hold so tightly to the gifts that we've lost sight of the giver of those gifts. Paul invites us in our reading from Philippians chapter 4 into a new way of dealing with worry. See, Paul's writing to, to the early church, these Philippian believers, and they know a thing or two about problems, about worries. I mean, the early church is actively under persecution. They don't know whether this next worship service is going to be their last, whether they're going to get taken off and killed for their faith, which means everything is in flux. They don't know about their family. They don't know about their health. Uh, they don't know about the, their financial well-being, their security. They're not in control of any of it. And so you have to imagine they're probably pretty worried, or at least they have fairly good reason to be. So they gather together for worship, and they receive this letter from Paul. It's like, all right, Paul, what, what do you have to say to us in the midst of all that is going on? They read through the letter. They get to this section in chapter 4. And here's Paul's great advice. Don't be anxious. And you kind of figure there's probably, there were probably a couple people in the room that go, Ah, oh, thanks, Paul. I had never thought about that. Hey, you know the problem to worry? I should just stop it. I should just stop worrying Thanks, Paul. We appreciate it. I've tried to stop worrying. It doesn't work. And then I worried that I shouldn't be worrying, and now I'm all of a sudden even worse. And then whoever's reading the letter, all right, guys. All right, let's let him finish. 
Don't be anxious about anything. About anything. About, about your life. Finances. Church. Family. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything. A prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. See, Paul isn't just inviting us to, hey, stop worrying, knock it off. No, Paul is telling us, he's inviting us, what do we do with our worry? Instead of holding on to it, instead of trying to take back control, Paul invites us, hold whatever you're worrying about, hold it out. Hold it out in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. See, what, what God invites us to do, instead of taking control for ourselves, instead of holding on tightly to the gifts, he said, hold that out to the giver of the gifts. Be honest about whatever it is you're worrying about. Say, Lord, I know I shouldn't be worried, but I, I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about the world that they're growing up in. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my parents. And I know if I hold on to that worry, it's only going to get worse. And so, Lord, I'm holding it out to you. Here you go. I'm going to put it in your hands. We tell God, I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about where things are going. I'm worried if we're going to have enough and so, Lord, here's my worry. Here, here's, here's my hopes. Here's what I need. I'm going to entrust this to you. See, instead of holding on to whatever it is we're worried about, we're invited to hold it out. To put it in the hands of the God who created us. The nail-scarred hands of the God who died for us. The hands that will one day welcome us home. Because it's, it's there that whatever it is we're worried about is safe. This is how one of the fathers of our church, Martin Luther, put it. He said, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. These are words spoken by a man who experienced a tremendous amount of pressure, worry, trouble, loss. Two of his children died from disease very young. His church was under tremendous pressure. His very life was at stake in any moment that he was at work. Whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Whether God is holding on to it in this life or God is holding on to it in eternity. See, God does not leave us empty-handed in the midst of our worry. It's not like, well, I, I, I know I'm not, not supposed to hold on to this. I, I hold out whatever I'm worried about. But God does not leave us empty-handed because Otherwise, what we're going to do, I'm going to find something else to worry about, something else to hold on to. 
See, verse 6, the verse about not being anxious, is actually built, it's founded on the words that come right before it. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. We hold out whatever we're worried about so that we can hold on to the promise of God that He is near. He is at hand. You're not alone. Your God is with you. We hold on to that instead of holding on to worry. Because here's the thing about worrying. If I have something that I know is true, that I can hold on to, that that anchors me in the midst of the storm of worry and anxiety. And this isn't just true in terms of our faith. It's actually true in all aspects of life. Uh, here's a picture of the, one of the last times I remember being really worried. How many of you guys watched this game? And this was a couple weeks ago. St. Louis Cardinals playing the Milwaukee Brewers. Adam Wainwright going for his 200th win. And if you've watched at all this season, you knew, I, I'm just waiting for his arm to fall off. He's clearly not 100%. He can barely walk. He can barely pitch. Uh, this is probably his last chance to get this win. And I tune into the game about this point. Adam Wainer is walking off the field. We are winning one to nothing. The slightest of margins. And we've still got six more outs to go. And we have a bullpen that is a little shaky at best. I was worried. I, I wanted him to get this win so badly. And so for, for the entire rest of the game, I kind of clenched my fist. All right, we're going to do it. Every single play, just holding your breath. So the Cardinals aren't currently playing baseball. Some other teams are. We're not. Uh, unfortunately. But so what, what I did, I mean, this was basically our World Series game. Uh, so I went back and watched this game earlier this week. I watched the, the ending of this game. And here's the thing. It was the exact same game from when I watched it the first time. But my experience of it was totally different because I knew something that was true. I knew Adam Wainwright got 200 wins. And I may not have remembered every exact play or how exactly it happened, but what I, I knew was that somehow they're going to pull this out. Somehow they're going to make this work. And when I held on to that, I watched the same game. I wasn't worried at all. Because that's what happens when we have something to hold on to in the midst of worry. As I know this is true, and that's going to anchor me in the midst of everything else that's going on. That is what the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is meant to do for us as Christians. It, it is the anchor. It is the thing that is true that we hold on to in the midst of the worries of this life. Is when we're worried about our sins. Instead of holding on to those, instead of trying to make up for it, no, we hold on to the cross of Jesus Christ where he paid for all of it. We hold on to that, even when we don't feel like it should be true about us. 
when we're dealing uh, with the overwhelming uh, insecurity of this life, that seem, things seem to be out of control. We hold on to the promise that God works through even the worst of situations as we see him bringing about the restoration of his creation through the worst thing in the world, the death of his son. When we're struggling with, with loss, with grief, with disease, we hold on to the truth that the grave couldn't hold Jesus. And that means the grave can't hold anyone who is in Christ Jesus. And we hold on to that. We hold on to that truth in the midst of the storms of life. See, more than anything that we hold on to, the reality is the peace that passes all understanding comes from the fact that our God is holding on to us even when we're holding on to the wrong things. Even when, when I'm worried, even when I'm focused more on the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts, my God is holding on to me and he will never let go. See, worry and anxiety want us to think that we're alone. I, I can't share what I'm going because, you know, the people around me, they're not worrying the same way. No one else is worried. Uh, as we're walking around uh, the, the fountain at the seminary, I, I don't need to, to share my worries, share whatever's going on with me because they're not going to understand. So it's better if I just keep it inside. Here's the problem. Leaving myself alone with my worrying thoughts is only multiplying the problems because those thoughts are the ones causing the problem. And so what, what Paul is inviting the Philippian church to be, what Paul is inviting Zion Lutheran Church to be, is a place where we can carry each other's burdens, worries, fears. Not that we have to understand them. Not that we have to share them. Not that we have to have the identical circumstances, but that we can take our worry and not bear it alone. Knowing that our God is holding us, that the Lord is near. And that one of the ways the Lord is near, one of the ways that promise is true is because he's near to us through his people. See, we don't want to share our worries because we don't want to be a burden. But if we as, as the church, if we reached, stepped into the lives of worried people, and we said, you're not a burden, you are loved. And you're not meant to carry that worry alone. Imagine if we did that, if we came alongside one another, came alongside our community, our world, as there's so much that we're not in control, so much that we have to worry about. Grieving people would find comfort. Those who are lonely and isolated would find community. Those who are stressed would find peace. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.